This podcast is brought to you by DIA, the trusted global neutral forum for healthcare product development professionals. DIA, driving insights to action. Innovation and medicine development is most effective when the innovation is followed by the assurance that patients will have access to the final product. In the context of so much unmet medical need, the importance of establishing the value of and access to these innovative therapies continues to grow throughout healthcare systems in Europe. It is more important than ever for all stakeholders to understand what information and evidence is used to define the value of these emerging innovations and how this process must evolve to meet both the growing complexity of these products and the growing needs of patient communities throughout Europe. DA Europe 2022, DA's European flagship annual meeting, will shed a light on the HTA regulatory landscape, as well as the different challenges that the medicine access space is confronted with in Europe in a global context. My name is Elena Popa, and I'm Senior Manager of Scientific Programs for DA Europe, Middle East, Africa, India, and Singapore. And today we are honored to welcome experts in value and access in Europe and long-standing contributors to DA educational programs on this topic. Dr. Andras Inze, founder and CEO of Accesso Advisors, and he is also a university lecturer at Baden-Württemberg State University in Germany. Andras has more than 20 years of experience in the medicine access and pricing space. He has developed alternative pricing strategies, including value-based and risk-sharing options, and work with payers to shape the healthcare environment. Welcome, Andras, and thank you very much for joining us today. Hello, and welcome from Basel. This is, as you know, one of the key hubs for pharmaceutical innovation, and I'm happy to be here. Thank you very much, Andras. And we also have Rick Vremen, Assistant Professor from the Division of Pharmacoepidemiology and Clinical Pharmacology at Utrecht University, the Netherlands. Rick's research focuses on the link between drug regulation and health technology assessment. He combines his work at Utrecht University with a part-time appointment at the National Healthcare Institute, where he advises on improving the methodologies used to evaluate technologies for their inclusion in the universal healthcare package in the Netherlands. Welcome, Rick, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Elena. I'm very happy to be here to discuss this very interesting topic with all of you. Thank you very much, Rick. Our podcast guests are contributing to DA Europe 2022 as topic leads, which means they help with the program development, topic selection, and speaker recommendations for our value and access track. Now, if we can begin our short interview, and I would like to start with you, Rick. European Council and European Parliament recently agreed for a deal on legislative proposal concerning joint work on health technology assessment or what we casually call the new health technology assessment regulation. What is your first take on this decisive breakthrough of the EU HTA law? Well, I'm quite enthusiastic actually about this development. I think we've seen quite a long journey towards this first HTA regulation, as you you call it. We've seen the first joint action and the second and the third in UNETA, where we've seen so much work collaboration between HTA organizations. And I hope and I expect that with this permanent HTA uh, regulation that we have the foundations for 
permanent collaboration between HTA organizations and advancing the collaboration throughout Europe and the development of common methodologies and build upon this great start. Thank you very much, Rick, for your answer. Andras, what do you think is missing at this point in the access space to encourage the innovators to market their products in Europe? I do miss, uh, from the policymaker perspective, a longer-term view and also a cross-country solidarity view. And why am I saying this? You know, payers have a very strong power in deciding on whether patients will have access or not to certain uh, innovative medicines and innovations. But even more importantly, policymakers are deciding on how payers can decide themselves. And what uh, I perceive that uh, policymakers more often or too often have a short-term view, short-term perspective rather than a long-term perspective, and sometimes are driven more by political goals than uh, promoting uh, patient access in a real way. So that ultimately this policy environment, and especially we'll be talking, I will be talking today also about the pricing transparency and the cost for pricing transparency. These are not very conducive to short-term patient access in certain countries, but long-term innovation and thereby access to new innovation, new medicines, development of new medicines, even in any of the markets. So I do miss this longer-term view. I do miss this cross-country solidarity view. Thank you so much, Andras. Rick, coming back to, to you, if you could write up your own wish list, for the future of value and access in Europe. How would that look like? Yeah, so that list would uh, probably be quite long. The main thing is that we want the breakthrough innovations to reach patients throughout Europe. We want the best products and to get them to patients as fast as possible. But then it gets a bit more tricky when we uh, start to think about what we need to make that happen. We need the right climate for innovation we need the right rewards the incentives to not contradict each other we also need good evidence that can demonstrate all the benefits of these therapies and we also need to organize it in a sort of a sustainable manner that we can actually uh, keep on working like that in the future so it's a wish list is uh, maybe uh, also a bit far off i guess but uh, i think what is nice is that when we see that we collaborate between stakeholders, that we all have some things that we think are missing from the current system and are not perfect, and that we can try to solve them uh, together. Thank you so much, Rick. That looks very futuristic, and I hope that will happen in Europe in the next couple of years. What about you, Andras? What is your wish list on how the value and access space should look like in the future in Europe? Yeah, I would also say there could be a long list, but let me highlight three key areas which I believe would be important. First is uh, to have political guarantees for pricing policy consistency, like that uh, what you expect should be consistent. The second one is that more appropriate, I would say, value for money, but even more importantly, money for value especially for advanced therapy medicinal products like the gene therapies, the cell therapies, and the like. And the third, uh, more generally, again, is to 
implement value-based uh, pricing uh, rather than a mechanistic uh, approach, for example, by international reference pricing. And the value-based pricing in this sense also means that those countries which have a higher level of affordability, they are willing to pay the higher value according to the higher commensurate value to their affordability and uh, let other countries, uh, let's say, which have a lower affordability then go away with lower price and lower affordability countries according to their, their affordability. Now, there has been a great example, but it's 17 years ago when the antiretrovirals for Africa has been kind of Europe-wide approved uh, as a tiered pricing concept. And I would love to see such kind of solidarity going in also today and also even within Europe. I always find this topic quite interesting, uh, us, And I was wondering what your thoughts are about parallel trades, because I think it's, it is a relevant factor in this, in this topic. Yes, parallel trades are a very special topic. Again, pharmaceuticals being such a, an uncommon good, right? For normal consumer goods, there is a very good reason in the European Union to have this open borders uh, or the free movement of goods. For pharmaceuticals, the challenge is that they are much more regulated and at the end, very country-specific uh, setups with a country-specific patient leaflets and the like. And uh, by the parallel exports from potentially smaller countries with a lower price level, and we have experienced in a lot of uh, stockouts and drug unavailabilities. And uh, that's very unfortunate. Obviously, it's a bad uh, evolution. That's why when Slovakia was heading up uh, or presidency of the European Union at probably something like four, four-ish years ago, uh, one of the key programs what or important um, focus areas of Slovakia was how to manage, how to handle parallel trade that they do not face this type of uh, stockouts and unavailability to local patients of the drug. So this is one aspect, the lack of access or the lack of availability rather in the exporting countries. The other thing is that in some countries, there are some regulations which state which is the minimum margin or which minimum difference what the parallel traded product needs to bring or to provide. But in a number of countries, this is not the case. And we see that, for example, product in Austria which is imported from Slovakia, still from the, having this Slovakian example, has potentially 85% of the margin difference or the, or the price difference is going to the parallel trade there and only 10 to 15 maximum is benefiting the healthcare system in the target country, in the importing country. So that's also the share of, of the benefits is not very fair as well. So there are, I think, a number of areas where parallel trade should be looked at specifically for pharmaceuticals, how, how we make it fairer on one hand, but most important to ensure that in the exporting countries, uh, patients are, are not left without the drug because of the exports. Thanks. Yeah, I always find it uh, quite interesting, this parallel trade issue with the European regulation for open borders, but um, yeah, it's quite difficult for pharmaceuticals. Yeah, it is. In the current system, at least. And, and, and thank you for uh, raising this interesting topic, important topic. Thank you so much, Andras. And I think the takeaway message from this wish list is solidarity. Andras, I would like to ask you if you can talk more about the impact of price transparency in terms of access, what access means in Europe? Yes. So 
you know, price transparency, and I come back to the impact on, on excess in a moment. Price transparency is a very tempting concept, of course. Transparency, who is not for transparency? But in the case of uh, pharmaceuticals, given this very special dynamic of very distributed decision-making, like the payer, the prescribing physician, the patient who is actually taking and also have sometimes a decisive role. So this is very much distributed. But even um, uh, more importantly, this setup has emerged into or has driven a um, pricing system where there is an inherent conflict. The inherent conflict is uh, between the so-called international reference pricing or excellent reference pricing and the differences of, again, I come back to my point of affordability of different countries of different regions. Why is this so? The international reference pricing would drive pharmaceutical companies to have a single price across uh, all of the countries to avoid what uh, they call a price race to the bottom, right? An erosion of the price over time due to these referencing effects. And at the same time, you have different uh, affordabilities, different levels of willingness and ability to pay for the same type of innovation, innovative medicine in the different countries. So this discrepancy can be bridged if there are confidential discounts or management agreements between like the payer in one country and the manufacturer. However, if this net price transference is requested, then this type of uh, deals are not anymore available. And that also means that pharmaceutical companies will not be willing to launch products in those markets which have potential lower price. So these patients who are in these countries not having access to these medications. But at the same time, um, the pharma company will also generate less revenues and there were less funds available for innovation. So there will be less drugs, less treatments, less innovative treatments in the future, even for the patients of the first, uh, like the higher price countries as well. So it's a lose-lose for long-term for patients in any of the countries. And we have been in our research in my company and also with a number of uh, academics performed research where we looked at the actual impact of such type of uh, measures and such type of policies with uh, Lou Garrison, with Jaime Espin, uh, with Zoltan Kahlo, and with, uh, with my company, Access Advisors. And we came to the conclusion that, for, for example, a, a life-saving heart medication, the lack of access, if we cumulatively add it up across the world, we looked at 30 plus countries, in fact, close to 40 countries, they add up to 500,000, so half a million quality adjusted life years loss, which means practically given the disease also uh, loss of lives. So price transparency in a nutshell is killing patients and it's killing patients today and tomorrow. And that's what we should avoid. Thank you so much, Andres. Rick, can you talk more about the new technologies used to align the HTA with regulatory policies? Right. Yes, of course. I personally am quite involved in this field and I, uh, I think it's extremely interesting that, you know, the remit of these organizations is, of course, very different. But still, there are also a lot of comparisons to be made, especially in the methodologies that they apply, but also related to their processes. For example, 
conditional reimbursement processes following conditional marketing authorization processes. So yeah, we see a lot of overlap in what these uh, stakeholders actually do in the regulatory space and the HTA space. And we also see a lot of initiatives actually to further the collaboration between these partners. And I think that's also coming back to my earlier statement on the, my very long wish list, which came down to collaboration between uh, stakeholders. And we see ongoing inif- initiatives to collaborate between uh, drug regulatory agencies and HTA agencies that they share information between each other, that they try to help each other understand the reports that they write. We see also parallel assessment initiatives where we actually try to shorten the timelines between HTA reimbursement decisions and uh, marketing authorization uh, decisions. But also on the content, we have joint assessment, of course, from the in the HTA space, but we also have joint advice procedures between drug uh, regulatory agencies and HTA organizations. And I think coming back to our earlier discussion on the HTA regulation that is upcoming, I think this might also be a facilitator for the collaboration between regulation and HTA. And this goes throughout the drug life cycle. It starts very early during development where we talk about in the scientific advice procedures about generating relevant evidence for all stakeholders. But it also continues, of course, after approval, after initial reimbursement decisions, generating additional evidence, getting more information about drug value and gaining access to patients. Thank you so much, Rick. These are all the questions we had for today. Thank you very much for sharing your time and expertise with us. And I invite you to share with our audience your final thoughts about our discussion today and the track that you are leading at DA Europe 2022. I think in the, in the value and access track on, on DIA, we have a lot of interesting topics that we actually discussed today about price transparency, but I'll let Andras come back to that as well. But about these expedited pathways where we can see that getting access to these products might be uh, more difficult but also about the uncertainties that we need to resolve throughout the value and access chain and specifically on the advanced therapies, but for patients that have higher medical needs. So I think all the topics that we came across uh, in this discussion are also covered in the value and access track on DIA. So I would definitely recommend going there. Thank you. And if I may add to this uh... The pandemic has showed up, uh, I believe, very clearly that uh, collaboration is essential and uh, nobody can go alone. And this discussions, what we are planning to have uh, for the 2022 DIA session, I believe they will also be reinforcing this message and uh, let it be around the ATMPs, the advanced therapeutic medicine products, of course, also the ways how to handle uncertainty in different settings and importantly the question of price transparency or even the threat of price transparency that can prevent different players to uh, make uh, drugs and uh, treatments available innovation available to patients so i think there's a very exciting program which is getting put together for the session next march and everybody will benefit uh, who will be joining that session and uh, looking forward to that myself. Thank you so much once again to both of you. 
I would like to remind our listeners, you can learn more about value and access in Europe by attending the Europe 2022, either in Brussels or online in March. For DIA, I'm Elena Popa. To learn more about this topic, visit us online at diaglobal.org.